Hello everyone, this is Lisa Fields, the founder and president of the Jew3 Project, and I'm so excited that you've taken the time to listen to another episode of the Jew3 Project podcast. We want to give a special thank you to our financial partners. We could not do what we do without you. We have been able to reach tens of thousands of people across the globe through our podcasts, social media outlets, online courses, curriculum, conference and events and tours because of your generous support. If you aren't a monthly partner, please consider partnering with us at Jew3project.org by hitting the donate tab. There's an option to give online or to mail in your gift. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Every gift you give helps equip. Remember, our online course is now available at learn.jew3project.org. Our new curriculum, Through Eyes of Color, a contextualized guide to helping you know what you believe and why, is available on Amazon and at througheyesofcolor.com and at jew3project.org. We thank you for listening and your support and your prayers. We're able to do what we do because of people like you. Thank you so much, and we hope that this episode blesses you. Have a great day. Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Well, thank you for watching another episode of the Jew3 Project Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jew3 Project. And I'm so excited to bring you another special guest, uh, Miss Christy Adams. Welcome, Christy. Thank you. I'm glad to just to hang out with you for a little bit. Um, thank you for being a guest on, on the podcast. Tell our audience just a little bit about who you are. I um, Right now I'm working as a chaplain. Uh, the official title is Firestone Endowment Chaplain at a boarding school in Pennsylvania. Um, but I'm also a religious studies teacher, so I teach uh, a few classes here. And um, I work as a, a co-director of diversity and inclusion. So that's sort of like my career, not my career, but more my job. Um, but I'm also an author. Um, which is takes a lot for me to sort of finally say out loud. Um, and then also an ordained pastor um, at my church. Actually, I'm not a senior pastor, but an associate pastor at my church in, in Somerset, New Jersey. And um, so I also sort of consider myself a, a minister and a youth advocate. And then I like to go around and, and speak when I get the opportunity. That's awesome. I was just in New Jersey in uh, Princeton. How far are you from there? Um, so my family, so right now I'm in Pennsylvania, my family's in Jersey, um, and from Princeton, cause I went to the seminary from Princeton and it's about, I don't know, maybe a half hour, 35 minutes. So it's, but it's right up the, uh, right up route one. So it's, it's a straight shot. Cool. Cool. We're going to be talking about your new book, Parable of a Brown Girl, um, which I think is going to be so helpful, uh, to, to brown girls like us. Um, kind of tell us what was the inspiration, um, of your book? I had met um, so many girls in, in, in the course of my career um, and my, my, my career, my jobs have taken me in various environments. So whether that's church environments, whether that's um, pastoral care settings, more counseling settings, um, I've worked as um, a, a university chaplain in higher ed and now I'm here at the boarding school. So just different settings, residential um residential treatment facility I worked at right out of college. But in each of these settings, I have met um, black girls specifically, 
um, whether it's been predominantly white settings or, or whatever it might be, I've, I've met and been able to build relationships with these girls. Um, and so they have been the inspiration, but the conversations and, and the relationships that have been built, um, I have often said, you know, I wish other people could hear you. I wish other people could get a chance to meet you, to experience what it is that I'm experiencing just by knowing you. Um, and so they they have inspired me. I didn't know how I, I had spent so much time thinking about how do we find ways to center these girls? How do we find ways to to not just create safe spaces for them, but also to allow other people to get the opportunity to to, to glean from their wisdom. Um, and I didn't know it was going to come in the form of a book. I've asked that question. That's been sort of like the, the thesis question for me for the past few years. Um, but when I was approached about writing a book, the one of the first things I thought when I was brainstorming was, oh, here's a prime opportunity to get to um, sort of share these girls' stories and, and, and find ways to expose other people to them. That's extremely, extremely important. When you were thinking about the stories you were going to select, kind of how did you pick? Because I'm sure you've heard more stories than you could include yeah. in the book. How how did you select the stories? That was really hard, um, but easy at the same time. The ones that stuck with me, the ones that I, um, you know, maybe the girls that I have met or one person girl, let's say that I had met maybe five years ago that I hadn't talked to maybe since then, but for some reason, her story sticks out to me um, and had done something, done something inside of me. That is, you know, that, that was pretty easy. The ones that um, just sort of never left me. Those are the ones that I, that I tried to highlight. And then, you know, the other ones were just me having more conversations. When people asked me how I did research for the book, it was like just having conversations with black girls, you know? And so, um, so it was half the stories that had stuck with me. And then the other half were stories that um, sort of came about organically as a result of, of, of conversations. I do wish I could have done more, but obviously, you know, you can only put so much in. So I, I had to be okay with knowing that this was like, th this book would be more of a catalyst to open up um, other discussions and, and opportunities to share other stories. So, so that was sort of how I found a way to reconcile it. <laughs> I love that. Um, one of the things that I like that you mentioned was having conversations with young girls, because I think we live in a day where we feel like we need to talk to people, talk to especially young people and not have dialogue. It's kind of like I'm telling you what to do. So right. it's kind of like a humanity to them. I think that bring conversation. Do you see that when you when you approach them like I want to talk to you? I just don't want to tell you what to do. Yeah. Once I. Uh, and really it started, even though I had been working with them for years, a few years ago, I was working in a counseling center as sort of like a pastoral counselor. And so it was my first time in that that type of setting. I've, I've been in settings where I'm in a church or university and they come to my office and we do sort of a counseling in between the workday. But when I worked at the counseling center, that is what they did. They were licensed counselors there and that is what they did. And so, um, so sitting with the girls, it wasn't like, Hey, let's have coffee, you know, or let's, let's just have this organic. These were scheduled out, you know, parents or guardians or whatever, scheduling out, okay, 4 PM, here's your time where you're going to meet with this girl. And so we were sitting and having the conversations. Um, originally they were like, like I said, counseling sessions, but in the beginning, when I started working there, 
I was like, okay, how can I counsel? How can I give them advice? You know? Um, and then the more I sat with them, the more I was like, well, we're just working our way. We're just talking. We're just working our way. They, they need someone that would hear them out, you know, that listened, um, that wasn't so quick to sort of give, give advice. Um, and then the more that I would drive home after I left the counseling center and I just remember one day just driving home feeling so full. Like, I just remember being like, wow, like I just learned so much. Like I I got so much out of that conversation that I had with that girl. Um, and being like, you know, that, that changed, I think my approach to, I've always, you know, just wanted to build relationships and, and have conversation, but sitting in those counseling sessions and where it was officially supposed to be a setting where I'm giving advice um, and then changing my whole approach because I was like, well, I'm learning something too from being here. We're, this is sort of a give and take relationship because I, I'm getting out of it and they don't even realize that I'm getting out of it. So I had to approach these conversations like a teacher and a student. So I'm both teacher and student when I'm um, when I'm sitting with them. And I think that has helped me since then even when I um, am in other settings with girls too. Mm-hmm. That's that's helpful. I remember um, doing some mentorship at a, a particular school in Jacksonville mm-hmm. and going in like excited, like I'm going to give, like share all these this wisdom. Mm-hmm. And as I'm ta- listening to them tell me their stories. I'm just like quiet because I'm yeah. like, I have like cookie cutter answers, but I don't really have answers to the stuff y'all dealing with because uh, y'all yeah. some real stuff that I've never dealt with as an adult so um <laughs> well, you, you know I um I always I've, I've shared this a few other times there's in the first chapter of my book it's about this nine-year-old girl that I've been um the, the beginning of the chapter at least it's about this nine-year-old girl that I've been working with going through some challenges or whatever and she was just coloring you know and then she just says to me you know, well, why, why did God make me a warrior when I'm, I'm really just weak, you know? And I always like laugh at that because that was a moment where I was like, I don't know. (laughs) Just like you just said, like, I was like, I didn't, number one, I didn't expect it to come out of her um, because she's so young, you know, and the way that she articulated it um, was a way that I hadn't been able to articulate my own, you know, um, similar struggles and she was going through stuff and that is how she was working through it. And I just didn't, I mean, and I write in the book, I did not have an answer for her. <laughs> like, I was like, I don't know. You know, I was like, we'll talk about this next week. And I talk about how I spent like the next week thinking about it and was like, oh, wow, like number one, how do I, how do I respond to her? Um, and then number two, I have the same question, <laughs> you know what I mean? For myself. Um, so it's it's really interesting being in those settings and you're like, wow, you have to really humble yourself and sort of, that's what Jesus says, right? Become like, a you have to become like a little child. That's literally what it means, you know, when it comes to sort of deal, dealing with um, these types of issues with these types of kids. Um, as you were writing the book, kind of what, I know you broke it down into the chapters of the different kind of uh adjectives for the for the girl how did you decide kind of what which ones to use yeah so similar to what i was saying about deciding which girls to use um some just were automatic angry black woman you know that that is a, a stereotype stereotypical phrase that we we sort of hear often 
So I already knew for one of them it was going to be Parable of Angry Brown Girl. Um, the fast, I, I was always, I had heard the term fast growing up in our culture. And so fast was going to be one, you know. Um, there were some that were just sort of automatic. And then there were others that I had to think through a little bit more. Um, and one of the things that my publisher wanted was for the chapter titles to be consistent. So such and such brown girl, such such brown girl. So it had to sort of flow that way. Um, and then we we decided that based off of the stories, the chapter titles would reflect their their struggle or their thing, whatever that thing is. So um, so you know the white acting brown girl. Um, you know that that was something that was sort of like a not not a no brainer. It was a no brainer what she was going through, but how to word it. Um, you know, I, I had to sit and, and think through, but it was it was easy because they had already the stories were already written, and I already knew what they were going through. I just had to uh, find a way to highlight it so that the chapter would make sense to it. Um, as you as you were talking, I I thought about how most black women are hypersexualized, and so you know, thought of just off the bat as fast without knowing the story behind it and how culture has played into it. Um, how kind of did you think through writing that particular uh, chapter? Yeah. I don't say it wasn't fun for me to write. You know, I was about to say, that was a fun one. Um, I guess it was to an extent to, to dive into it. Um, when I took uh, in seminary, well, I took a feminist womanist class and we, we would dive into a lot of these uh, conversations. And, and that was actually when I first I don't know if I'd learned about Sarah Bartman in, in in college, but the whole hot and top Venus Sarah Bartman, um, we dove into it in seminary. You know, we sort of, we we went back a lot um, into how these myths around Black women's sexuality began. It I, it was fun for me to to do that chapter because it was I had to go back to those days when I was studying those things and to see where it has come. Um, and even though fast isn't necessarily a term, I think this current generation hears a lot because I, I did ask them, like, do you hear the term fast? You know, they don't. They hear the sentiment behind it, but not necessarily the term like we did. Um, but um, it's in, it was interesting for me to see how far back the, um, you know, the, 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 the myths around black women's sexuality, how it began in slavery and um and, you know, hot and top Venus and sort of tracing it all the way to where we're at now with these girls and how black girls are hypersexualized, how that sort of stuck with. Um, and then using the girl's story that I wrote about specifically in the book that I had been working with. So um, every chapter is, is, is similar in the sense that I do like a tracing. I go back to like the historical a bit, I touch on it a bit um, and then sort of bring it current. Um, so I did that with the, the 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 sexuality chapter, the fast chapter. I would talk about the hot and tight Venus, but I also went into talking about um, uh, R. Kelly's uh, surviving R. Kelly. I think that was the I think that might have been the chapter that I did that. I definitely wove, wove that in, uh, weave that in somehow. But um, I, I did a lot of going back and then tracing and then bringing us sort of to the present. But then the second part of the chapter is of each chapter always gives some sort of a theological, spiritual 
um, perspective as well. And in that chapter, I'm pretty sure that was sort of going back to um, the why God created um, black girls bodies and created us, you know, um, for goodness, you know, and sort of how to um, re sort of sort of take back some of those things that have been said about who we are and how we use our bodies and now um, reimagine it in, in, in how God sees us. So. Mm-hmm. That's that's helpful. Um, as you also were talking when you mentioned the the white acting black girl, uh, I thought that was a very interesting uh, interesting title, especially because I do think I, I mean in my in my day, um, which I don't think is too too dated, um, even though I feel like sometimes I'm getting old um, as a thirty about to be thirty three year old. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to call them Oreos in school. Uh, I don't know if y'all did that as Mm -hmm. well, Uh, but it was the black on the outside, white Mm -hmm. on the inside. Uh, Why did you feel important to talk, to talk about that, to address that? I, you know what, I think that was one of those, there were certain ones that I said, okay, these are automatically going in. I think that story was one I had to um, not do a little bit more research that, that came about in the middle of writing the book. Um, I had heard, we had these chapel talks at the Hill. We have chapel and then we have a speaker, but we call them chapel talks. And the speaker is always a, um, a, a student of some sort, typically a faculty member sometimes, but a student. And there was one student who got up and, and spoke about that, the whole idea of being an Oreo and how she didn't fit into before she got to the school that I'm at now and her elementary, junior high schools or whatever, how she didn't fit in. They were mainly black, but now how she is at this sort of school that's, that's predominantly white and how it it had followed her. And I was like, ah, that, that, that is, that needs to be addressed. It wasn't that girl, but it was another girl that I had been working with that I knew that had been something that had, had followed her and that she, that she wrestled with a lot internally. Um, and so, and it was that way for me. So then like once, once I had my aha moment, then I was like, oh my gosh, this was another component of my childhood, you know, and how I wrestled with in certain school settings. My, my church was black, my friends at church, were black. everything at, I spent majority of my time at church, but then my school, um, before I got to high school, at least was white. So how, how did I wrestle with them? So the question became, how do girls nowadays in these environments how do they feel? How do they deal with it? How do they, how do, what healing spaces do they have in order to manage, you know, their emotions in it? And they're, str- they're struggling, you know? Um, so I felt like, I felt like it was really important to put that in there for those girls and women like myself who have had those experiences. Mm-hmm. One one of the challenges I think the church is facing is how to connect with young people, uh, especially uh, young girls. How would you advise um, from your work and through this book that uh, people have conversations? Because I think the basic gift of just having a conversation is hard for most people, for most adults to have with children. Um, how would you advise them? Or what are some just helpful tips you would give? When I um, when I started working, I worked in um, California for a while at Azusa Pacific University, and my boss at the time, he was very relational. Everything was relationship, relationship, and I wasn't necessarily like that in the beginning. Um, 
And he would say to me, you know, your first year, I just want you to build relationships. I just want you to take students to coffee. I want you to, you know, go ask the janitor, you know, if they want to grab lunch. You know, he that's all he wanted me to do. I remember I was just so annoyed with that in the beginning um, because I'm like, well, let's plan. We got to we got services to plan and this cool event, you know, and he was like, nope, you're just going to spend the first year building relationships because his philosophy was that you set that foundation, then everything else is going to come easier for you when you need something in the, you know, in the future, just, I, I couldn't conceptualize it, but eventually I got it. And I, I believe in that, you know, I was a youth pastor before I got to, um, APU and I just, you know, I think, I think I did the best I could do with, with what I, what limited, you know, knowledge that I did have. Um, but it was, it really was when I got to APU that I was like, okay, relationships, every, that, that's what's central. And, you know, he always just sort of encouraged me not to rush to like planning or doing or advising. Um, and that has stuck with me. And I, it's, it's advice that I give people who want to, you know, how do, how do I work with kids? Um, we don't have the patience to do the hard work of building relationships. We want to hurry up and get to revival. You know, we want to hurry up and plan the next cool event or whatever. Um, and I would say whatever setting that you're in, make relationship building relationship priority. Start there and give yourself, I don't know, I don't want to say a year or whatever, you know, but let that be it, you know, um, and then build that foundation organically. And then I think God will start to open doors um, for other for other things to take place. So many times with kids, we just want to jump to. We want to jump to advise. We want to tell them what they, they should be doing, how they should be thinking. You know, um, I was working at, um, when I was working as a, a, I was a chaplain in residence at Georgetown University a few years ago. And at the time, a supervisor, uh, he had said to me, um, you know, well, he was saying to the whole group of us in a meeting, you know, you all need to be doing the planning. You're the experts. Um, you know, you need to be planning programs and events, you know, you're, you, you're the ones, you know, and, um, I've rose my hand and we're saying to him, well, yeah, we're like, we're the experts to an extent. The kids are the experts over their own lives, right? The students are. So we need to be sitting with them and listening to them and hearing their needs and what they would like, you know, um, they may not want a Bible study, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like. Like, that may not be something that sits well with them. It might have worked for you, but it doesn't work for them. And he was like, well, I disagree. And I'm like, well, I disagree. Because what I have learned, you know, is that we have to start looking at them as the teachers, as the experts, and not us as the high and mighty that are looking down on them. So that's two. Build relationships, number one. And then number two, as you're building those relationships, you're listening keenly for, for the spirit to speak. Right. For for God to sort of speak through them so you can hear, okay, this is what this is what the need is. So whenever I go into a new environment, I started working here the first year, every time I go into a new space, I don't I don't start planning because I don't know the context. I don't know the kids. You know, Um, the first thing I do is, okay, I need to do the hard work of just sitting back and listening and asking them how they're doing and not having an agenda. That's extremely helpful. I was just talking to um, uh, um, an apologist 
in Atlanta and he had went into um, a detention center to, um, and he was like, I thought I was about to kill it. I had all the answers to the questions. And he was like, I got in there and I was like, oh snap, this is different than the university settings I've been in during the day. Um, <laughs> the questions are totally different. Um, and he was asking, because uh, he was, they, he went to, you know, he wanted to speak at like the juvenile detention center to the, the boys and the girls, but they were like, we don't have a program for the, for the, for the guys. And he was like, well, why don't you have a program for the guys? He was like, because we haven't got enough men to be willing to stay. Mm-hmm. And it was the same point that you made about rushing to revival and not relationship. So he said the women were more patient to know that this is a process of I'm going to be coming back sometime. Mm-hmm. And then we're like, okay, if I didn't get them to move or change or make a decision in the first day, um, it, they weren't interested in coming back. And I think we ought to, like you said, d- struggle with the patience to sit with young people to know this is going to be a process of time. I can say something that I think will hit that work for me that won't necessarily work for them. Mm-hmm. It's going to take five years till they get it. And we're not like, we're not there for the process. Right. Right. Because our culture wants microwaves. Yeah. Yeah. It could take a while. And that was why I didn't want to sit for I'm like a year. You want me to just hang out with people for a year? I'm not getting paid for that. I'm getting paid for results, you know? And it's like, it's not how God works. That's not how God works. God is very patient with us, you know? Um, God doesn't rush us. We rush other people and we rush kids. It's not right. <laughs> yeah, it, it gives that image of the incarnation and how long God waited even to just send his son to come. Yeah. I'm thinking that like that's a long time and I don't have to. I struggle with patience. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. that is a discipline I, I need to to get uh, better at. Um, what other things that you want to highlight? in the book that we haven't addressed already? Um, you know, the biggest thing I took away is that black girls now it's, 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 it's intergenerational. It's an intergenerational struggle and wrestling, even the good, even the good parts, there's so much overlap. Um, and that's one of the biggest things that I've learned, you know, that the girls are not reading the books we're reading or not necessarily exposed to the things that we were yet. They're going through, similar thing. They're saying the same, very similar things. The hair, the hair struggles, the the skin complexion, the weight, you know, black girls' bodies and how, how black girls' bodies are shaped, you know, um, the, the, the voice having to sort of come to voice, um, this idea, this one girl, you know, uh, was sharing with me how, when she was assaulted, um, you know, she went to tell a family member and the family member was like, you better not be lying. I mean, we pa- we have passed these things on to these girls. You know what I mean? Somehow they are inheriting some of the same things, not, um, you know, by any of like our fault per se. I, I, I think it's more just the nature of being a black girl growing up in this world, you know, um, and how culture views us. And those things are passed on. And it was just, it was also similar. Like each girl, I could, I could, I could pinpoint a similar thing that I had gone through. They have different stories and unique circumstances, things that I've, you know, never touched on in my own family or in my own personal life. But some of those, they, they were some of those sort of um, things that they may have pointed out, like, you know, being angry black woman, having an attitude, you know, all, all of that stuff that 
is sort of put on to them. They're like nine, 10, 11 years old, you know? And my thing is like, okay, if these, if this is going to be inherited, how, how do we get it early? And I think our culture is doing a good job of getting it now. You know, we, we have more representation out there, more black girls rock, you know, and celebration of black womanhood and, um, and who we are. So those girls are being exposed to those things differently than I was when I was their age, you know, but I, that the, the, the question that I have from my own life and work really is, okay, you know, how, how do we, how do I stop it? How do I get it? right at, at nine years old, how do I get it? Right. For me, it was like, how with the girl that asked, you know, why did God make me a warrior when I'm really just weak? And my response to her eventually was warriors are weak, that, that God makes room for us in our weakness and our strength. While that may have been a lesson that I wound up getting later in life, my job was to see how I could share that with her and how she could internalize that earlier than I, than I did, you know, um, so what I want for the book, I always tell people, yeah, you know, um, they're like, I'm going to get this book, for my 12 year old. Okay. You know, like it's not really written. It's not written for kids, to be honest. High school girls can read it. I think, I didn't think junior high could probably read it. Um, but it's, it's not written for people to grab the book and say, I'm going to give this to my 12 year old. You know, um, it's no, it's for you to read it. Um, it's for us to read it. Um, and not just us as in black people, I'm talking about adults, period, who um, are, you know, mentors in relationship with teach, you know, pastor, whatever it is, um, you know, they want to find ways of connecting and relating to black girls and uh, and, and how they can sort of work with. Um, those are the people that I want the book to to touch, you know, um, and of course, the black girls, I, I want them to read it. Um, but I don't want them to be the sole ones reading it because they're reading their own stories. They already know what they're going through. You know, I've, I'm articulating. I try to articulate things differently so that they could have a different narrative for themselves. Um, but I don't want them just reading and then, you know, it goes away. No, it's it's for us. It's it's for adults. I love that you say it's for adults, because I think, you know, a lot of times there are plenty of adults who can't even give voice to their struggles, the ways in which young people, younger people are more comfortable with. Mm -hmm. And sometimes hearing somebody younger tell their story may give them freedom to tell their story and also deal with um, their own traumas because there are plenty of adult women walking around with trauma that they're scared to, to process. And sometimes hearing it from a younger person helps, gives them the courage to do so. Yeah. My mom, when she read the book, um, she was like, wow, those girls, I mean, these are the same things that I was going through and am going through. So I thought that was interesting when she read it and that was that that was her response, because that was what I what I felt when I'm, you know, talking to them. So I that's my hope that they that that people will, you know, if, if black women particularly, you know, read it and, and say, wow, you know, um, they 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 are sharing something with me about my own life and struggle and helping me come to terms with X, Y, and Z of what I've been dealing with. How can people get the book? Yeah, so the book is on, um, the book comes out in two weeks. Is it two weeks exactly? Um, yeah, pretty much. Um, so it comes out February 4th. Um, you can pre-order the book on Amazon or Barnes & Noble right now. 
Um, you can, uh, it's published by Fortress Press, so you can also go on the Fortress Press website. Honestly, if you just Google Parable of the Brown Girl, there'll be some options for you to be able to pre-order the book. Um, yeah, and that's it for getting it, or you can get the book on the 4th um, and order it then. I think if you pre-order it, it should get there on the 4th, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Um, how can people get a hold of you on social? Yeah, so on Twitter, um, my uh, name is at Christy Lauren, my middle name, Christy Lauren. So at Christy Lauren, K-H-R-I-S-T-I-L-A-U-R-E-N. And on Instagram, it's at Christy Adams. Um, again, another one of those, you can just Google Christy Adams and I'm, it'll come up. Um, Facebook, I'm not on Facebook. Um, I'm sort of anti-Facebook, but I have a Facebook, um, Parable the Brown Girl has a Facebook page. And um, and. So I interact a lot up there. So you can you can just type in Parable, Parable the Brown Girl in the search and um, and you'll be able to find it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Christy. This has been a rich conversation. Remember, you can um, check out all the Jude 3 um, social medias at Jude3project.org. It's right above me. And get our new um, curriculum through Eyes of Color, their merchandise and our online course. Remember, here at the Jude 3 Project, we're helping you know what you believe and why you believe it. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well. So thank you so much for tuning in. Also, remember we have our Bible engagement app in partnership with Back to the Bible to help you get better engaged in the Bible every single day. You take a survey, it assesses your strengths and weaknesses and sends you Bible verses based on those. So it's a great app. You can download the app by searching in your app store or Google Play, searching G3 Project, and it'll be right there for you. So thank you again. Remember, if you would like to become a monthly partner or a one-time giver, you can do so on our website or by mail. Just go to Jew3project.com, hit that donate tab, and you'll see the option to mail in a gift or give online. We appreciate you, and I'm so, so thankful for you. God bless, and remember, here at the Jew3 Project, we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it.